Hello, everybody. Welcome to Becoming Better, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better human being. I'm the host of this show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 37, Inbox Zero. Email. You got like hundreds of emails about, which feels a little bit meta or something along those lines. To get so many emails about managing email better. When you asked people who listen to the show or read your site what you could help them with. Yeah, a lot of people said email. I feel one thing skewing that might be the fact that I asked that in an email newsletter. And so maybe people were just kind of in their email anyway and thought, man, another email from Chris. Why does he always uh, send so many messages? Uh, Maybe I need help managing them all. I mean, it's a classic case of selection bias, but we're going to go with it anyway. (laughs) Yeah, we'll go with it anyway. So let me ask you, Arden, what is email? Have you heard? Have I heard of email? Email. I think I had my first email address when I was eight years old. What was it? What was your first email address? It was just Arden at rogers.com back when we had Rogers. Is it still active? If somebody emails Arden N. It's no longer active. Uh, I have no idea what happened to it. I still remember my first email address. It was embarrassing. Like cute Leafs fan, Habs fan 92 or something. It was far worse than that. So on the day I signed up for this email address, I had just bought new uh, computer speakers. Uh, I think they were creative. Do you remember creative, the company? Yes. With the the really crappy speakers they made. They were big, uh, a big deal for me at the time. I think, no, they didn't come with a subwoofer. So on the day I bought these speakers, I signed up for email. And the email address I signed up for was speakers to me. The, the number two and then me at hotmail.com. Oh, yeah. It's got to be hotmail. Yeah. Like all classic emails, <laughs> email addresses is hotmail.com. But in planning this, you know, we were thinking, what is email? Like at, at its most fundamental level, if we're starting from first principles. And we figure it's basically a way of sharing information with people. Part of that means that it's not a way for anyone to be able to reach you at any second of the day. Yeah. It shouldn't be something we're beholden to. It should exist for our convenience, not the convenience of any person on the planet who wants to contact us in every, any given moment. And this is not to say that being accessible isn't important. I mean, yeah. especially right now when we're not working in the same offices all the time anymore. Nobody can stop by and say, yeah. hey, Arden, do you have the TPS report that is due today? What does TPS mean? It's the thing in office space, I think, the report they mentioned. Oh, it means nothing. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, all this to say, we have other platforms like Slack or other things like Microsoft Teams where you can be more available if you need to be, although that probably should be tamed down a little bit if you're trying to do focused or creative work. But being accessible is not the goal of email. And I think a lot of people, their mindset is email is the way for them to be reached at any time of the day. Yeah. TPS report, by the way, according to Wikipedia, is a document used by a quality assurance group or individual, particularly in software engineering, that describes the testing procedures and the testing process. After its use in the comedic 1999 film Office Space, TPS report has come to connote pointless, mindless paperwork and an example (laughs) of literary practices in the work environment. Literacy practices. All right. Very boring stuff. But email doesn't really have to be boring. And uh, But I, I think this idea of inbox zero is a very 
sexy one because most of us don't get there. Most of us come asymptotically close to it. Uh, what, what I think is a worthy goal with email is instead of getting inbox zero in our email inbox, we kind of get to zero in our head uh, where we get to a point where we don't think about email. I think that should be the goal. The, the goal with email should be that when you're not doing it, you devote almost zero mental space to it. And the best way that I've found to get there is to develop rituals and habits around email that serve you. Because inbox zero, you know, you spend all day on email, you finally get to inbox zero, you have nothing left in there, but then one email comes in and disrupts that entire inbox zero. And so if you're going to stay on top of everything, you just have to be more and more responsive and it's a slippery slope. And then you just begin thinking about email the entire day. Yeah. No one looks back on their life and thinks, I am so happy I got my inbox down to zero all of those times. I mean, because it won't be all of the time. You don't have control over who's emailing you and how often. So you'll never be able to get it down to zero all the time. And people will never be happy at the end of their life thinking, I got it down to zero two dozen times. Really? I won't be laying on my deathbed thinking about all the times I got my Email I down certainly to zero? hope not. I oh. feel like you've got other things going for you. Well, why do I study productivity then for a living? Ideally, to change your mindset around email. <laughs> hey. 10 out of 10 for segues. Uh, 8 out of 10, but it's pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> so, so how do we do that, Arden Nordstrom? So I think the biggest part of this is really becoming aware, right? I mean, and that's the... I think we say this for a lot of the different topics we talk about, but really bringing more awareness into how you interact with your email and how you feel about email throughout the day is a really important part. So really only check your email if you have the time, the attention and the energy to actually deal with things. I mean, this is something I fall into a trap with all the time where I will just check my email to see if anything has happened, but I actually don't have any time or really energy to actually attend to it if something came up. So it's mostly just a distraction and really just a stressor. So I'm really trying to work on this right now. Um, And another simple thing, I don't think a lot of people realize just how often they check for new messages, how frequently they check for new messages. Uh, I've seen some studies that show that pe- people who do knowledge work for a living check their email uh, 77 to 88 times over the course of a workday. That's 11 times uh, for every single hour of work. And that's a lot of times to interrupt yourself every hour. You kind of chop the hour into 10 or 11 segments of focused work, assuming you don't tend to other distractions at the same time. And so just bringing some awareness, maybe, you know, to bring it down to a tactical level, you know, on top of before you open up your email clients, thinking, okay, do I have the time to deal with what might have come in? Do I have the amount of energy, the amount of focus that uh, that I would need, like you were saying, but also just keeping a tally, maybe on a post-it note for a day, just an afternoon even, uh, to chart how many times you check for new messages. And maybe also reflecting on why you checked. You know, did you check because something might have arrived? Or are you checking because of a more important reason, like that you have a bit of time between meetings to blow through your email? Or that you... Uh, are looking for something to procrastinate on. Yeah. yeah it's a good I know good for one. me it's usually a good signal that I'm reaching kind of an impasse in my work or I'm like frustrated with something, haven't figured how to do something out and email is always going to be more satisfying than like plugging away at your code or figuring out what you're doing. Yeah, and sometimes checking email unnecessarily is a really really good cue that you should 
not work at that moment, that you should take a step back, get a tea, get a cup of coffee, let your mind rest and wander because maybe it's telling you that, okay, I don't have the energy to focus on something intently right now. So I just want to do something uh, medial and, and mindless. Yeah. Like an indication that you need a break. But the opposite of that is bringing your full attention to email. And this is something, it's a constant struggle that we have because we all do two types of work. We do work that's collaborative and work that's more focused. So how do we strike a balance between those? Um, And there's definitely strategies for, again, making a ritual and a habit out of allowing email to serve us. But one of the best ones that I've found are email sprints. Uh, So an email sprint is just at the top of the hour or whenever you have a, a chance throughout the day is you set a timer for 10 for 15 minutes. And in that time, you blow through as much email as you possibly humanly can. And you have that focused time to do that collaborative work. And then the rest of the hour, you just disconnect entirely. So you have the uh, focused time for other likely more important things then too. I really like this. I've actually never tried that, but I think it'd be a fun way to like almost gamify something that's pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we so often have a guilt when we're not doing email because we know that people are essentially assigning us commitments that we then need to action. And sometimes they expect us to be responsive. And it's a nice way of kind of training our mind out of that guilt, uh, that guilt of not working, that guilt of not being immediately uh, responsive. And a, a nice way of leveling that up are email vacations to take your mindset up a little bit too. Yeah. This is an idea that I really love. So The whole concept of of an email vacation can be either an entire day or just a few hours. Um, And if if it's really important, you can totally set an autoresponder to minimize the guilt that you have around this if people are really expecting a response within that time. Although I think the expectation that emails are answered within 24 hours is probably fine for most people. Um, And 24 hours is a whole day. So you can take the day off and answer the next day without... (laughs) the world falling apart, usually. Depends on what you do, but I mean, usually this is probably true. Um, and the world's falling apart anyway, so you might not have to worry about that. Debbie Downer over there. <laughs> I think the world is not falling apart. But but there is there are ways of, you know, if we talk about this guilt, the, the simple truth of the matter is that if you had to take a one-hour meeting or a two-hour meeting, God forbid, uh, with your boss or your boss's boss's boss, uh, or with an important client that you can't resi- can't risk losing, you would have to be away from email for that amount of time anyway. And usually after important meetings, you don't check in with email and find that the entire world has fallen apart. Uh, but the, there are little ways of weeding out this mental resistance that we often have to email. And and that's to do a, a sort of mental swap to weed that out. I do this with meditation a lot. So a lot of the times I'll, want, I'll have it on my schedule for the day to meditate. It's on the schedule every day. And I'll, I'll think to myself, I don't have time to meditate today. But I'll just do a mental swap with something that I never have resistance to. Like, do I feel I have enough time to watch an episode of Ted Lasso, the, the wonderful <laughs> comedy on Apple TV Plus, or an episode of The West Wing. The West Wing, Wing reunion was just the other day. And I find that, curiously, I do have the time for those things, but yet I tell I, myself that I don't have the time for meditation. So I'll just tell myself, okay, if I have time to watch Ted Lasso, I have time to do 
uh, 21, 25 minutes of meditation. And email is a similar thing. Uh, you know, if you ask yourself, do I have the time if my boss's boss called today, do I have the time to talk to her? And if you do, you can just swap it out and think, okay, I can disconnect from email for that amount of time too. And I think another way of putting this is you don't have to feel guilty because you're actually just taking the time to do the things that actually matter, right? You're not attending to email, which probably feels more satisfying in the moment, but you're actually doing the focused and really clear-headed thinking that you'd need to do the things that matter in this world. I mean, if if you're being overwhelmed with email, it's a good chance you're probably a knowledge worker, although, I mean, most people have email these days. So <laughs> arguably, people, yeah. you're, you're not being paid or your bosses aren't paying you to do email. They're paying you to do something that takes more time and more attention. Unless you're a manager and then maybe your job is just email. But managers should be aware of the fact that Constant email is going to take away from the fact that people need focus time. Yeah. And and one tactic that I like to encourage folks to do is keep an accomplishments list over the course of a day, over the course of a week, a month, a year, and jot down all the things you accomplish in your work. And, you know, when you chart that list around variables like how often you check for new email messages, how often you set for intentions, you kind of get a feel for how productive you are by uh, using your accomplishments every day, every week, every month, every year as a proxy measure for that. And usually people don't add email to the list because email is something that supports our work. It isn't integral to it. Uh, it's like but getting it, dressed. You don't give yourself credit for getting dressed in the morning because it's just something you have to do to work. Yeah, like like trying to deal with emails. Like I don't know. It's like trying to deal with rain, right? You can't stop rain from falling. You can just best hope to either find an umbrella or channel it into a way that that is productive. But it's you know the, at the same time, it's worth keeping in mind that we all do different types of work and uh, your your work is different from Arden's work is different from my work and kind of on, on that we kind of have two sides of this spectrum for how we relate to email uh, you know on one side there's um, I don't know an, an administrative assistant who has to play the role of that traffic cop and move people and information and bits around all day email is integral to what that person does uh, on the other hand you have I don't know a novelist a real estate novelist uh, to quote the Billy Joel's whatever a real estate novelist is maybe there's that's on the other side of things where you know you accomplish the most as a novelist by not doing email at all. You can check once a week and have you know one week of focus time to be able to hunker down on that project you're doing. But it, it is worth adapting which of these tactics you take on, uh, depending on how collaborative your work is and depending on how autonomous your work is. Because if your work is very, very collaborative and not autonomous whatsoever, you're dependent uh, on other people, uh, you're not going to be able to have the freedom, the flexibility to adopt tactics like this and relate to email differently. You kind of have to play that responsive role and that's okay. But if you're on the other side of things. If you're highly autonomous, if you do work that's focused, you know, so often if you're in a role such as that, knowledge workers fall into this, you may get less feedback in the work that you do. And so you may gravitate to email because it's an immediate way of connecting with people, of seeing the work that they're doing, of uh, having feedback to the work that you're doing yourself, even the longer term projects. Uh, but at the same time, that makes it more worthwhile to step back from email because that's when you do your best work. Yeah, exactly. I still remember a colleague that I had. Um, his name was Phil. 
it still is Phil. He's still he's still with us. And what he would do every once in a while, he'd be at his office, and he would just shut down email for a day. He'd throw a responder on and just say, "I'm hunkering down." on a big project today, a big creative project. And so to be able to focus on that, I'm stepping back from email. And, you know, you might think that the reaction people would have is, oh, this, you know, this guy isn't being responsive today, but it actually gives the illusion of greater productivity if you work in an environment where sending signals of productivity is so, so critical. I I forget who said it once, but there's a quote that there is no love, there are only proofs of love. Uh, I think there is no productivity. There's only proofs of productivity in some uh, cultures. And so the more proof somebody has that you're productive, whether it's responding to IM or Slack or email, immediately the more productive they perceive you to be. And contrary to what you might think, when you spend a day just hunkering down on a project and everybody gets that autoresponder, you're perceived as pretty productive if that is a concern that you have. So if you are in an environment where that responsiveness is rewarded uh, unfairly often because I would argue that you know some of the lesser productive organizations that I've worked with and spoken to um, are the ones that are the most responsive and the least deliberate. Um, I think that would make sense. Yeah, I think that's something that's so critical to keep in mind. Yeah, the professors that I know or the academics that I know that are the most efficient or the most, uh, not efficient, but the most productive, I guess, in terms of how much they actually crank out in a year, um, are definitely the ones that are the worst at emailing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is also purely observational. Do not have the data (laughs) on that, but just thinking through my head of the professors that I I really have noted are really productive are definitely the ones who are not as good at email. Interesting. All right. A couple of good karma tips, because I think this is something that you should think about when you're emailing other people, right? I mean, putting the burden of email on other people should be something you do very intentionally, right? You shouldn't put a lot of expectations on email if you want to put good email karma out in the world. I think it's just important to be a good Samaritan when it comes to emails. And I think a big part of that is don't send emails that don't have a clear purpose or include people who don't need to be included. This drives me crazy when you're CC'd with 25 other people and you didn't really need to be included. That just drives me crazy. Um, and another, I think, obvious one is, I mean, suggest calls for stuff that would be easier to go through verbally. I know I'm um, helping out with several courses this semester. Um, and this is something I've started doing with students who have started sending me these pages long, super complicated technical questions over email. And instead of spending half an hour to an hour on one one email, um, I've gotten into the habit of just suggesting that we set up a 10-minute meeting to go through these questions point by point. Um, and I think that that really helps avoid missing a lot that is missed in nuance in an email and also just allows you to do things a little more efficiently. So I think that's really important. And also pause before you send stuff because sometimes you think of something like five minutes after you would have sent it. Um, and getting two emails with someone with a just a quick follow-up is is just the worst. So these are just little things, but be a good email Samaritan and don't just email stuff without thought. Yeah, it's I, I couldn't agree more. You know, the best, there's, there's, you know, one of the easiest tactics out there, simple way of cutting your email volume in half is to send half the amount of email <laughs> because yeah. the more email you send, the more you receive. And so the more thought you put into what you do send, the fewer responses that you'll need to go back and forth on. And, you know, there's just greater clarity in thought. There's greater clarity in email. It doesn't stress you out. 
so much when you have that. The email apnea is actually a thing where they measure <laughs> people's breaths before they check their email and they find that some people are short on breath. They stop breathing when they click the Outlook or the Apple Mail or the Gmail icon on their computer. That's so stressful. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it really does affect it. And uh, I know Gloria Mark, um, who's a, an attentional researcher, she's strapped heart rate variability monitors on people as they check email and they find that email stresses people out like almost no other uh, uh, thing that we do in our work does. And it's it's fascinating. The, the more often we check for new messages, the more stressed we become. And so cutting the volume of what you send cuts the volume of what you receive. One simple way of doing that that I love is the three-sentence rule. So the three-sentence rule is one of the simplest things in the world. And you feel kind of rude when you do it at the very beginning because the rule is you put a little note in your email signature that says, you know, to respect your time and mine, I'm keeping every email I send to three sentences or less. And if you want to write something longer than three sentences... You just pick up the phone and call the person unless you need a paper trail of some sort for the messages you're sending back and forth. And it makes you think more clearly. It reduces what you receive by a wide margin because if you respect other people's time, they'll respect yours. And I think, you know, if you get a lot of email, look to how much you send and look at the, as you say, the the email karma you're putting into the world. So we've been ending these episodes with something to think about. So today, Arden has something for you to think about in the next week or two going forward. And I have a challenge for you that'll lead us into the next episode of the podcast after that. Yeah. So it's just a very, very quick quote from 168 Hours. Just a quote. It's a pretty good one. By Laura Vanderkam that I I think is really sticking with me because I've been kind of stretching myself a little too thin lately and feeling a little overwhelmed and how much work I have to do and... and (laughs) I'm not sticking to my plans in a week as as well as I'd like. So mm. this is something I'm working on right now. Um, and this is in her book. She says, the world is not going to make it easy for you to stick to your priorities. Don't let your own weakness contribute to the problem. And I think, I think that's a bit tough love, but I, yeah. I actually really love that. I mean, like take accountability for the plan you make. I mean, every week I send you my thesis plan. And yeah. in the last couple of weeks, I've fallen a little bit short on how much I accomplished each week, which I'm really not happy with. And so, may I be the first to say, shame on you. Thanks. I know, <laughs> no, I'm just good. kidding. <laughs> but I just like, I know I have, I have switched to focusing on email a little bit more. For example, I think the fact that we talked about email is a really good, really good for me this week because it's yeah. taken over more and more of my time and it's taking away from more productive things like my thesis, which I'm really not comfortable with. And I think just having this little reminder that take accountability for what you promise you're going to do in a week, even if it's just a promise to yourself. I mean, every week I set, I schedule my whole week's calendar and this week or last week, I kind of got derailed by very low value tasks mm. like email. And I think a lot of people have these grand plans of whatever they're going to do, whether it's working out more or spending more time with their kids or spending more time with their partner or working on specific tasks. Uh, it's always going to be easier to do the things that are very low resistance activities. Yeah. Always going to be easier to watch Netflix or check your email a million times. Yeah. But um, don't let your your distractibility or your lack of accountability let you distract from your priorities. I love that. I love it too. Yeah. As Annie Lamott has said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And so if you want to set big goals, that's great. But don't just think about the goals. Think about what your day-to-day 
will look like, what obstacles will get in the way, what weaknesses, what challenges are forthcoming that you'll need to deal with. I love that. Me too. So the challenge, we've never done a challenge, have we? No, we've done the weight loss challenge. we've done quite a few challenges, actually. (laughs) Am I even on the podcast? (laughs) I think so. I've been here from day zero. (laughs) So if you are, but the the challenge uh, that I have for you this week... So uh, please email us how this goes. Uh, Chris at a life of com is mine and Arden, A-R-D-Y-N at a life of productivity.com. Throw us the Y in there just to make sure you're paying attention. But this... Like 90% of people don't, but that's okay. But it's like the tripwire. It's the green M- <laughs> yeah. or the brown M&M or whatever of, of names. Uh, but the, the challenge this, this week is to make your... F- so we're spending a lot of time on our phone, right? We're spending more time indoors. And so we're spending more time looking at screens. And the challenge is around screen time, especially that that you spend on your phone. So the challenge is this. So we usually go through the day, we charge our phone at night, or maybe once in the day, maybe we throw it on a charger throughout the day. The challenge is to bring your phone's battery up to 100% and then go as long as possible without charging it. I'm going to challenge you to make it last two days, if at all you can. There's a stretch goal for this challenge of making your phone's battery last three days. Put it on airplane mode when you're not using it. Uh, Turn on grayscale mode buried in the accessibility features on your phone to make it less appealing. We'll try to hit these goals ourselves maybe once, twice, maybe even three times uh, between this episode and the next one. But if you have any feedback for this challenge, send us an email and let us know how it goes. Yeah. I mean, my phone lasts two days. So please don't email us and say, well, my phone always lasts two days because that's not useful. That's not in the spirit of the challenge. So, I mean, if your phone already lasts two days because you have one of these gargantuan sized phones, make it last three. Try. (laughs) See what you can do. Can you do four? Honestly, I don't know because I don't really ever charge my phone to 100%. So I don't Ah, even know how long it lasts right now. See, that's the secret. Get it to 100, then do the challenge. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe I'll try for four. That'll be my stretch goal. Sweet. So finishing up, becomingbettershow.com is where you can find the corresponding blog article for this episode. We hope you have a wonderful week and we'll see you in a couple Tuesdays. Bye. 